0: Began to fantasize about Joseph and his role in the birth of Christ, insofar that by now, the present day, with all the rulings of the popes and others, he is number two in sainthood in the Roman Catholic Church. Mary's number one, Joseph's number two. But in order for him to assume that kind of role in the church, there had to be some material brought up about him by which people could identify with him. So St. Ambrose in the third century, who started out the day as a Roman official, and that night when he went to bed, he was a Christian bishop, proclaimed that Joseph was 80 years old when Jesus was born. And since then, the church has portrayed him in the sense of the proclamation of that one man. And he said that Mary was 13, wow. and I thought Carleen and I were pretty well. So. <laughs> And that has been propagated from that moment until the present. Marjorie Wilson came up to me last week and she said, I don't buy that idea of uh, mayor being so young. Well, I don't buy it either. Except I said to her, now listen closely on this and then forget I said it. (laughs) My grandmother was 12 years old when she married my grandfather. So they do get married at 12. She lived in a rural region where there weren't many to choose from, kind of, kind of like it was, kind of like it was in Nazareth. The thing is that the the library, yes. <laughs> But that has been held. But after Marjorie brought that to my attention, I said, now, I've always expressed what others have said. I wonder if that's really true. So I came out of hours on my computer, and guess what I discovered? Joseph was probably 19, and Mary was probably 13. So I've given you something to take home today that if you hadn't come you would have never known it probably (laughs) but Joseph loved Mary chose her to be his wife and the story begins it begins in Nazareth. Nazareth didn't have the best reputation of all the areas in the Holy Land not only did Nathaniel say it but many others said what good thing can come out of Nazareth because why would any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was so backward in geographical placement. It was so backward in the opportunities for the people who lived there. When the first settlers came into Nazareth, that bowl that was surrounded by high hills all the way around, a rocky bowl, they found a fresh spring that came in time to be known as St. Mary's Spring and with the spring and the shelter from around it became settled but at the time in which Joseph lived there there were no more than 200 residents. Very sparsely populated and everyone who lived there eked to living off the land cleared off the stones had a tiny garden plot or had grapes for wine, and then there were some who were trained in skills that met the needs of the people, and Joseph was one of these. He was a carpenter. And so the story begins. I want you to know something about Joseph. So hold on just a minute. I've got bursitis. Would you help me? That's why you rear sons. <laughs> I just really wanted to see my beautiful cufflinks. And <laughs> He's come to my rescue again. Now, you've seen me do this before, and you know that's not aging, it's bursitis. And when you get bursitis, you'll know what I'm talking about, as each of you will in time. My name is Joseph, son of Jacob. I'm from Nazareth and I've lived in Nazareth all my life. I was born there, spent my childhood there, never had any desire to leave Nazareth. It was a quiet place. There was no hustling that goes about in the city and the rush of people to and fro. You could walk out on the rim of the valley and look over to the Mediterranean Sea, envision faraway places. You could see beautiful trees and flowers. In time, you became one with the earth because that was where you were planted, that's where you grew. But every boy dreams of the day when he gets married and has his own family. I was no exception. In a village of 200 people, there weren't many to choose from. But there was one young woman there that I grew up with and I loved her from afar long before we were old enough to express love told my parents that when I got married that was the person I wanted to marry and they took me seriously because then parents took care of mating husbands and wives and bringing two together and giving them their blessing. The boy and girl had little to do with it other than the fact that their wishes be made known but I let mine known real quick because Oh, Mary, how do you describe her? Such an inner beauty. Smile for everybody. It was as though she were filled with a light that just didn't be kept inside. And I loved her more as each year passed. And finally the time came when I said, I'm ready to be married, what about you? And she said, yes. And so we worked it through our parents and we were espoused. About a year after we were espoused and we would be married and we would rear our own family. I wanted that more than anything in the world to think of my spending the rest of my life with Mary. And so being espoused, we planned for our future together, what we would be doing, where we'd be living. And then something happened. Mary came by and she seemed troubled. She didn't share it with me and I didn't cry. I thought, well, this was a a day in which something has gone wrong and she'll work it out. But, She said, I have to go away for a while. I've got something that I've got to think through. And so she left, telling me that she was going to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant, and she wanted to be there to help her through the childbirth. And it seemed like a plausible excuse, a plausible reason. But I worried about her all the time. And then... Time passed, she came back, she came straight to me. My heart fell. She was pregnant. That beautiful girl who was so pure in whom there was no while. And she had betrayed me. She had been unfaithful to me, and I didn't know what to do. And I said, I'm not going to ask who the father is, and she said, well, let me explain it. And she told me the wildest story. She said that an angel came and stood beside her and said, you found favor with God, and he has chosen you to bring his son into the world, and I said. And she said, I can't be the one that he would choose. And he said, he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he personally will come as a cloud, the way in which he came to Moses on the mountain and the way in which he led the Israelites out of the wilderness. And that mountain will come and descend upon you and the two of you will be in tryst. And when God leaves, you will be impregnated with God's Son and he will save the world from all of its trials and tribulations he will be the Messiah the one who will save the world of all their sins sure you could have come up with a more likely story than that you expect me to believe that sort of explanation for your being one to betray your marriage vows and I stalked out Angry. Angry because I had put my entire life with her for a future that would be beautiful and pure. And to begin with, she had already betrayed us. She had already been unfaithful. Would I spend the rest of my life wondering if she was going to be unfaithful again? And I left her standing there and went off to myself. I went to the one person that I felt could help me, and that was my rabbi. And I told him the story, knowing that he would keep it confidential. I said, what am I to do? He said, well, you know what the law is? Moses' law says that if adultery is committed by a wife, she's to be stoned to death and though you're just a spouse the rules are the same as for marriage and if the law is to be carried out she'll be stoned in the streets." And he said, I can't have that happen to her, but I'm too much of a righteous person to spend my life with an adulteress. What am I to do? And the rabbi said, you know you could just divorce her quietly no public spectacle and then let her leave the village and go somewhere else and no one need to know the reason for her leaving or coming and you just can explain the fact that well that's what your espousal is for to test to see whether you should get married and we decided not to and then that way she'll be protected and you'll be free to Find someone else. I thought about it a long time. I was hurt. I was so deeply hurt because of what she had done to me. But I, I still loved her. I couldn't let her be stoned and even if she wasn't stoned she'd be humiliated and shunned. So I decided that's what I would do. I would seek her out and I would tell her that we would be divorced and she could go somewhere else and start her life again and I would start mine. I didn't sleep well that night. I dreaded telling her that it was over between us. And in my restlessness, suddenly I had an apparition. It wasn't really a dream, I've had dreams before and they're fanciful, but this was An apparition of an angel standing at my side. I didn't awaken but I heard every word that he spoke. He said, Joseph don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What she has told you is absolutely true. She has found favor in God's sight. God has chosen her to bring his son into the world and he will be the Messiah. And when he's born, you'll he name him Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. I awoke and I had perfect peace. I knew for sure that what Mary had told me was true, As hard as it was to believe, I knew that she was truthful and that I must protect her and that I must do as the angel had told me to do. So when I found Mary that day, I held her in my arms and I said, everything's going to be all right. I believe you and now let's plan for our marriage. And so before people could start talking because she would be showing her pregnancy, we consummated our being engaged And we were married. The people in the community were so thoughtful as they saw me getting bigger and bigger with my child and then something unexpected happened that none of us ever dreamed would happen. I was prepared to be in Nazareth in my mother's house if not my own Cared for by people around me who loved me as I brought my firstborn son into the world. But Caesar Augustus back in Rome sent forth an edict that said that everybody in all of Judea was to be enrolled, to be counted. We all knew what that meant. That was, meant that they would get our names and our addresses so they could tax us to death that we would go to the places where our families originated so that no one would hide, no one could be lost. And I came from the family of David, who came from Bethlehem. I was a son of David, to great pride in that but it meant that I'd have to travel 70 miles to get to Bethlehem. And my wife was just on the brink of having a baby, and to go 70 miles on the back of a donkey or walking over a rough roads were more than I could imagine. But she insisted that she could do it. Normally it took about two or three days to make that trip, but it took us upwards of a week because we had to stop many times. We made our beds by the side of the road, and ate sparse food that we brought with us, and we kept going. I thought of the number of people who would be coming to Bethlehem, and it was such a small village as well, larger than Nazareth, but still a small village, and no place for the people to stay overnight. I wondered as we went. I didn't want to say anything to Mary about it, but as far as I knew, there was only one inn there, and tradition says that David had built that inn when he was a young man in Bethlehem, so who knows what condition it would be in by now. Not many people passed through Bethlehem, so there was no need for an inn. Houses would take in strangers, but with Mary and the condition that she was in, I didn't want her to be in a stranger's house. As we approached Bethlehem and with the knowledge that there may not even be a place in anyone's private home, I began to look for shelters that we might go to and noticed that there were a number of caves where cattle and sheep were sheltered from the storms. But I did go to the inn, hoping there would be a single room, and the innkeeper said, No, I've turned many people away, and there's absolutely no way that I can make a place for you. So I remembered the one cave that was nearest that I thought might be appropriate, and it was empty. Because the shepherds had their sheep out on the hillside grazing. As long as it was grass, they would graze in the hills and they were out on the hillside. So I found the one that was nearest and appeared to be the cleanest. And I went in. I took the fresh hay and spread it over the ground and emptied the manger of the residue of food and put fresh hay in it. Because I knew, I'd never gone through it before, but I knew that baby was coming and it was coming quick. And it wasn't an hour or two until it came. So I did everything that her mother would have done had she been at home. I didn't know what to do, but nature just kind of led me and we got through it together. Beautiful little boy. I took him and we brought claws in the event that the baby did come. And I got a pail of water and washed him well and covered him with salt, then wrapped him up in the claws that we had brought, laid him in her arms and shielded him back. And as I looked into her face and saw the beauty of motherhood and the joy of giving birth to one who was called the Son of God, I've never seen light shine so brightly out of a person. I held her in my arms, and the three of us stayed there a long time, just feeling the embrace and the love and the joy of one another. And God had allowed me to be a part of it. Why had he chosen me? And then we were disturbed by people coming to the cave. And he was a bunch of shepherds. And they come and peered in and I said, did we get you a cave? I'm sorry. They said, no, we were out on the hillside. And do you know the sky opened up and there was an angel speaking to us. And he said, The Messiah has been born in Bethlehem, and he will save the people from their sins. And if you want to go see him, you'll find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. So we knew that he was in a cave if he were in a manger. And we knew that most caves were empty because we were all out on the hillside. So we looked to see a cave that would have a fire in it because we knew that there would be a fire if a baby had been born. And we saw one cave lighted up, and so here's where we are. And they fell down in front of us. Me, as though I was worthy to have them to bow down in front of me, though it was a baby they were bowing down to, of course. But I felt so special. I looked into Mary's face and... I guess that's like looking into the face of God. I looked into the baby's face. It was such a joy I couldn't contain it all. And then the shepherds said, we've got to get back to our sheep. But we're going to tell everybody on our way back what we've seen because there's never been anything that ever happened in the world equal to this. So, after a while, we found a place to stay in Bethlehem and made it our home. After eight days, we would go to the temple and our son would be circumcised. After 40 days, we'd have to be in Jerusalem, after 40 days, to make an offering. And as we made that offering of two doves, should have been a sheep, a lamb, but we didn't have a sheep or a lamb. We had nothing. I brought my tools with me because I thought maybe I could get some work while we were gone to help us in our expenses, but that's all we had. So we took two doves and offered them, and I thought thank goodness that the rules have changed because I knew that in the beginning that the firstborn son was always offered us a sacrifice to God and then the other children were allowed to live and in time they decided that instead of offering the firstborn they would offer a lamb in place of the son and if you couldn't afford a lamb you could use two turtle doves. and that's what we use two turtle doves. and Simeon an old gentleman there in the temple who was a priest for that day swooned when he saw Jesus and he began to talk almost in a language that was unknown to any of us, thanking God for letting him see that day, saying that God had promised that he would not die until he had seen the coming of the Messiah. And then we left and went back. Soon we would return to Nazareth. But we liked Bethlehem and we made it our home. We'd lived there for a year so When someone knocked at the door and there were three strange men there They identified themselves as wise men living in the east and a star had brought them to where we are because they had been told with the stars that an important person a king was to be born and we came to bring him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh but they said you've got to be careful because the king asked too many questions he wanted to know where you were and we told him that we would report to him but we're not we're going back another way because I don't think he has anything good for you I think you better stay out of his way and then that night I slept and that angel appeared to me again and said Joseph take Mary and the baby take them to Egypt where they'll be safe because Herod is going to try to kill him and so I got Mary and Joseph what makeshift way that we could start on our journey without consuming more time we started out got out of the town under cover of darkness, and as we moved into the distance, I could hear the sound of screaming mothers. I could hear the cries of babies as though they were being slaughtered. And a city filled with the cries of mothers whose babies were wrenched out of their arms and thrown to the earth and slashed with swords and spears. And my heart sank. And I looked into the face of that little boy in Mary's arms. And I thought in my heart... It's time you came. He's here, and it's time we found him.